That was wonderful, Janet. And I can understand why those are favorite songs you love, because I love them too. They're just, they're songs that, I mean, they, they zoom through the bone, and they make you really feel, really feel the power. Say hello out there, everybody. And here we are. This is Sunday, November 18th, 2012. And we are on the Bible revelation of the universe, number 21. And we're, we're calling this <clears throat> part one of the Dragon's War Against the Invisible Bible. So it will be interesting. And if you remember, in our entitlement and brief resume of the last dragon, talking about the five strings of resonance, we were last week talking about being on number four, the string of the genetic dragon resonance imbued into humankind. And we are still on that resonating, resignating string. So hang and hold, because we have a lot to share with you. <clears throat> In Mark 4.34, it's written that Jesus spoke to crowds only in parables. But to the disciples, he expounded all things. We see that through the ministry of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was an expert at understanding that not everybody would be able to immediately perceive the deep and profound things of the word. And that is why sometimes he would say, I have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. He didn't say, I have many things to tell you, and you will never be able to know it or figure it out. But he put in there a time element. There would be a time. The Bible talks about the coming of the, of the former and latter rain, and that now there is the former rain being poured out moderately. And that's Joel 2.23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, but he will cause to come down in the first month the former and the latter rain. And so there is a time Ask you of the Lord, ask you of the Lord in the time of the rain. Ask for the rain in the time of the rain. Don't ask for God to give you rain when uh, it's not the time of rain and it isn't even the best thing that could happen. So that is all important. <clears throat> now Isaiah gave this exhortation. He said, the Lord has has blinded the spiritual vision of the multitudes and hardened their hearts. So they could not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted, and that I, the Lord, should heal them. And you could compare that to John 12.40 and Romans 4.4. 4. There is a time to be healed. There is a time to be converted. And, and someone says, well, a time to be healed should be all the time. Well, not necessarily. Sometimes... The body has to have a little bit of sickness just to build up the immune system. 
and uh, otherwise uh, they don't stay over the sickness for hardly any time at all. So that, you know, is all, all part of a recognition that has to be granted in a person's perceiving and understanding of things. Because if you don't, you don't get the picture right. Now, we, we want to talk today about <coughs> ancient times. And uh, these ancient times, of course, are going to incorporate some of this information about uh, these um, uh, satanic people, these uh, dragon-type uh, dragon people, draconian people. Uh, we're going to try to get all to all of that. Um, in Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight, I've quoted you this before in this teaching, remove not the ancient landmarks. And this is one of the things you have to really understand and you have to really get down. And you have to even understand this um, in your uh, study groups and where you might go and worship. Uh, if, if any of these study groups are, are worship places, are tearing down the, um, you know, the ancient landmarks, then you have to uh, recognize that, um, that even though you are uh, maybe subject to their ministry, uh, you still have the right and the privilege to, on your own, in your own private time of revelation, to continue in the Word of God and, and uh, receive it unto yourself. So that is perfectly your right, and if anyone tells you that it is not, then uh, you know they don't know what they're talking about, and God have mercy on them. Um, the Bible says in Isaiah 44, 7, there is an appointed time that the ancient people, now we have to understand that we're talking two different classes. We're talking the, the class of the, the wicked ancient people, and we're talking a, the class of the holy ancient people. And uh, it goes on, and I've I read these to you the last couple times, I think, to say, you know, uh, the question, who has declared these things from ancient times? Because God has, has um, wanted it to be prescribed of an emphatic nature that many of the things that people have questions on, many of the things that people are wanting you know, to 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 uh, have a solution to, and they're just totally confused as to what to do or what not to do. Uh, you know, has been declared in ancient times. They just need to know how to understand that. And and uh, so uh, says it uh, in Isaiah forty five twenty one, Isaiah forty six uh, uh, nine through ten talks about remember the former things of old. Uh, why does God want us to remember the former things of old? Because the ancient things of the past will reveal to you the present and also the future, and and so it makes a you know a declaration uh, that there should be a um, a revealing uh, from uh, uh, the beginning of time, so that a person can understand the end of time. That's Isaiah forty six nine through ten, and then. You know, it talks about the dragon, and there it talks about war going on, and it talks about you know in Isaiah fifty one nine, you know uh, of the of of this war and how that uh, Rahab, which was a, the female dragon, a sea serpent uh, dragon, uh, was was cut and wounded, 
and uh, and uh, then you know in other places it talks about the land dragon, and so uh, we have both a female dragon depicted in the Bible and a male land dragon. The female dragon depicted in the sea, the dragon of the sea, the land dragon depicted on land, having come up out of the sea, and uh, you know. Uh, these things that are ancient, these things that have stories that are not familiar to people as they try to um, uh, to understand things in the vernacular of their modern uh, idioms, uh, you know, uh, are, are things that people stumble on. And in, Je in Jeremiah 18.15, it talks about my people stumble from the ancient paths. So those things are, are totally understood. It talks about um, in Ezekiel 60, 36, 2, that the ancients had high places. Well, you know, the high places um, that many of the ancients had were places where they worshipped idols. But there were high places of the, of the holy ancients that were high places of the mind. Now, we had a vivid uh, realization of Scripture uh, in Daniel 7-9. And it's really just a, a magnificent depiction of, of, the, of the encapsulation of, of um, ancientness. Uh, I, I don't really know of anywhere in the Bible that it is any more uh, beautiful <coughs> in its description than, for instance, in Daniel uh, 7, starting with uh, verse 9. And it reads something along this line. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancients, the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Now, this particular ancient of days has a description of a belonging to him of wheels, his wheels. When we understand the word wheel in the first and tenth chapters of Ezekiel as representing ophanim, if it's the word ophan, then that's the singular for ophanim, plural. Or if it's the word uh, gelgal, that's the word for wheel representing a physical wheel, which could be anything from a cart to a chariot to a zith, which people call UFOs. And, uh, and it says, A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousands, uh, ten thousands stood before him. The judgment was set. The books were open. This thing of books is a forever thing. It's a forever thing. And that doesn't mean that that can't include, uh, you know, electronic books. But the idea of books are a forever thing. And, and we, we have, uh, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we have that in John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. <clears throat> so this thing of, of the Word and books is something that's going to go on and on and on. It is very, very ancient. And so, to get into the ancient uh, things that are spoken, especially when you understand that if you can read them, 
in the right way, if you can see to read them in the right way, then by reading them, you can see the, the present time in which you live, and you can see the future. Now, we call that part which is hidden, that people, as an average, cannot see, as an average, cannot understand. Or cannot understand. We call that the invisible Bible, that it is there, the reality is there, but, but people just cannot see it. And, and Paul described it as being a veil that was over the word. Uh, uh, metaphorically, uh, you know, the veil that was over the face of Moses uh, represented the, the covering of the glory of God that was shining in his face and that people could not see it because it was, its shining was hindered from being revealed by the veil. And and so when they looked at Moses, they saw him with this veil, but they could not see what was under the veil because uh, it was hidden by the veil. And there was an invisible word. There was an invisible message. There was an invisible revelation. And it was a tremendous revelation. And they missed it because he had in his face the shinings of the angels that came down as described in the 68th chapter of Psalms, 20,000 angels and 20,000 chariots of fire, which were the Ziths that people call UFOs. And he had all those experiences. Oh, there was so much that was to be said. There was so much to be revealed. There was so much that was glorious. There was so much that was championed by these angels that appeared in a way that was not earthly. And yet the people could not stand to receive it. And Moses had to cover his face. And so that, those experiences became invisible to them. And, and that was the invisible Bible again. So these are all beautiful things. And and they're they're uh, you know very very um, w full of wonderment. In Isaiah three four through five, it talks about that there's going to be a day come that babes will rule, and they will be full of pride and 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 they will act pride proudly and vainly against the ancient. And it's described within the context of that verse. It calls them the base. In other words, they are the, the minimum episode. And that they will operate against the honorable, which are the prophets and the ancient of, 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 of ancients. And so we should not be surprised if some of those kind of situations are being actuated in this day and age in which we live, in which there are people only in the baby truth, only into baby wisdom, only into baby knowledge, only into babel discerning of spirits, only into the very base, the very base of revelation. And they are out there trying to teach other people and trying to make people believe that they could give them 
a Bible college education when Paul said, hey, come on, people, laying aside the principles of the foundations of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Let's go on to perfection, not laying again these same works. And those we will do, and he was making it clear that there would be a time for that uh, to be repeated, but that those people that had already learned those things and were practicing those things didn't need to just make it a lifetime repertoire uh, of, of uh, reiteration. And so as a person begins to understand that, it is absolutely a sign of the times now as it was a sign of the times back then and as it will be a sign of the times futuristically. And there is a lot that we will have to say about that because, believe me, there is a lot of scripture. Now, <clears throat> there is a startling scripture, and I want to just read that right now. And if you had turned in the book of Jude, the book of Jude, and that's the book just before the book of Revelations. And uh, Jude comes right after uh, the third epistle of John. And in the book of, of Jude, uh, it talks about, in verse 4, something very, very strange. It says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our Lord into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, we understand that when Jesus Christ is denied, then also is the book of Revelation denied. And we see that in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must, must uh, shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto to his servant John. <clears throat> now we see how that messages are transferred. A message of divine appointment comes from the Master, from the Lord, Jesus, through the medium of an angel. And there's quite a story about that angel, of course. <clears throat> then um, <clears throat> we find uh, other, you know, very, very interesting uh, scriptures, uh, you know, along the line of, of that whole revelation that are very important. And, uh, you know, we, we will uh, we'll be getting into some of those things. Um, but John was told... In the first chapter and the 18th verse, uh, and uh, 19th verse, pardon me, uh, John 1 and 19, write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. Now that's quite a, 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 you know, a requirement, quite a petition, quite a request uh, to write not only what is past, but to write what is present and write what is coming. And uh, and it involved the, the mystery in verse 20 of the seven stars uh, and uh, the seven, seven golden candlesticks and of the seven stars 
that it says were seven angels of the seven churches, and many, many more very, very interesting things. Now, when you have a force, as described in Jude 4, that are of old, of ancient times they have been ordained. For the very time that Christ would come and minister on earth, they were ordained <clears throat> to come and to block that ministry and to repeal against that ministry and to stamp out the uh, revelation and, and the people that were proclaiming it. And so when we stamp out the Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ, we stamp out the book of Revelations. And when you stamp out the book of Revelations, then you are stamping out chapter 10, which is about the seven thunders and about this mighty angel that comes down from heaven and has this book. Here we're back to a book, a little book in his hand. Now, the word little here, you know, it's really not just talking about the size of the book itself. It's talking about the, the size of the substance, that it is so minute that it, the only way that it can actually ever be seen by a human is to be magnified. And we've read you those scriptures a couple times from before about magnifying the Lord and magnifying the Word. And, and so <clears throat> the little book then uh, incorporates, incorporates the revelation of the invisible. So here comes an angel with a book in his hand that the message in it was invisible. And what was keeping the message from being understood was the ability to read or not being able to read it. You cannot understand it if you can't read it. And these... Um, this book of the invisible, of the little things, had seven, seven seals. And until the seven seals would be removed, then it could not be known what was written in the interior of the book, only what was written on the exterior, the front and the back. And therefore, <coughs> the seven thunders that had been uttered, now they were already uttered even though they, they are about things that are of the past and of the present and the future, they've already been uttered. <coughs> but to understand what that utterance is, and as Paul described it, to have God open a door of utterance for you, it's a pretty major thing. And in the seventh verse of the 10th chapter of Revelation, it says that there will come a day when the voice of the seventh, the seventh angel sounds, and that will finish the seven thunders, and when that happens, all of these things about the seven thunders will be known, and they will ha have been finished in their conclusion of, 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 of uh, explanation and uh, revelation, as he has declared them to his servants, the prophets. So when in Jude, 
we have these certain persons. And when it says certain men, it doesn't mean that they're that the masculinity is is just male. But in in English, when they use the word man or men, uh, it is understood that it can stand for both sexes, for people. Unless it is specifically within the context made clear that it is a male or a female. And so, when these certain persons slip in, and it says they crep in, and so that is a very a low profile of coming in, not letting anyone understand how powerful they are, not anyone understand the ancientness of what uh, they are. And, uh, and, and therefore, uh, with that stealth, uh, being able to come in without uh, being noticed, being able to come in unawares. Uh, and these were those who were ordained, um, uh, you know, before of old, before all these things happened, going way, way back, because the Bible says, if you know the beginning, you'll know the end. You'll know the, you'll know the present. And so these were people going way back, very ancient, that were ordained way back then to, for the condemnation of some of the future things that were going to happen. One of the major things that was going to happen was the grace of God. And they wanted to turn that grace into something evil and incorrect. And they wanted to deny the, the, the only Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ, which then would deny the book of Revelations, which then would deny the seven thunders and, and, and the invisible Bible, which is the little book, the book of little things, which would deny that, which then would deny, as I say, the prophets who had been who were re to receive the seven thunders and be involved as medium to make that known unto the world just like Jesus made it known unto an angel to minister revelation unto John they would make it known uh, uh you know unto other angels to minister unto these prophets that revelation so that the world could eventually receive it now <clears throat> that is very very important to understand then there is an ancient force, a very ancient force. And, and we know in Ephesians it says, you know, that the war is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in high places. This is no minor, low-level, low-profile war. It is a major war that has been going on for the ages of time, and there are agents that are involved on both sides that are out ministering, as we will see uh, as we get into, into the Word. We know that um, <clears throat> in um, Revelations 9.14, uh, it talks about uh, the angels in the river of Euphrates that are going to be loosed. And here we obviously have a very ancient river, a very ancient, uh, um, you know, uh, symbolism, metaphor of, of something that has been held back, something that has been held back that cannot become known, that cannot be revealed. 
the, these angels with this message have not been able to speak it. They've been bound in this river, this river representing, uh, you know, several different things. Uh, rivers can represent multitudes, you know, people, tongues, nations. Uh, they can represent, um, you know, uh, revelation and so forth. And so that is is something that the Bible was saying it's going to happen. That's that's revealed in Revelations nine fourteen. Revelations nine fourteen. So <clears throat> just let's let's just get this down in in the minds of you people. Um, you know, that um that this thing on the Euphrates River has more meaning than, than could be thought. Um you know, we we teach in the Holy Manifest that um, out of the whole out of the Euphrates River uh, came uh, the the creation of of Adam, <coughs> and um, and with the creation of Adam came the creation of bodies for for the Ophidim who were the fallen uh, soul people, and we see that in the in Revelation sixteen twelve. Uh, it talks about uh, the sixth angel pouring out his veil upon uh, the great river Euphrates and the water of there dried up and the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And we understand that the meaning of that is that there finally comes a time when all of the fallen angels <clears throat> that have fallen have been given a time of regeneration and a time uh, for salvation and and to 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 be to become equal again with the angels uh you know they they fell they lost their status they 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 uh, uh fell down into earthly uh bodies and then suddenly uh you know uh one life didn't necessarily take care of it uh, some people say oh no the bible says in hebrew there's only one one life and and and, and that's just rep that's just represented by people that uh, regardless of their so-called bible scholars don't even know what they're talking about because they don't even understand the the hebrew uh, uh, uh translation to english problem uh, that that made it so that the the wrong words were put in the wrong place uh when that scripture was given and 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 uh, there are all kinds of times where people Jesus raised people from the dead and they lived again and they were already dead, and so to try to say that uh, people die one time and they can't ever uh, die another is violated many many times by the Bible, <clears throat> and not to mention the dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures that make it very clear about regeneration. Not reincarnation. Regeneration is different. Regeneration does not believe in in migratory uh, reincarnation, which allows people to come back uh, support, supposedly and live in rats or or bugs or or critters of all kinds. We don't accept that or believe that. Okay, so then um, we need to to look at. All these things that have been going on, uh, if we if we actually go back in time to the you know to our to the ancient of time, and we go back to the time that um, uh, when there was the, the you know the tree of good and evil and the tree of life and and uh, then the, the the woman 
uh, Eve, she partook of the of the of the tree of good and evil, and uh, then her husband also partook took of it in order to take on her sins, so that um, the sins wouldn't all just fall on her, and then she would be separated from him and maybe killed and destroyed because of what she had done, and and by doing what he did, uh, he took on her sins, and he became a kind of um, you know proxy for what Jesus was going to do later, take on the sins of other people, take on their crimes, take on th their faults, as though he was the one that was guilty. And he wasn't guilty at all. Neither was Adam, and that's why in the book of Timothy, it says that, that uh, you know, it was the woman that transgressed, not, not the man, not Adam. Now, um, when we look at this in, uh, in um, chapter 3, uh, and we see that um, um, that this event has happened, and God is speaking now, and He's asking Adam and Eve, you know, what what have you done? You, what is this that you have done? And um, so uh, <clears throat> here's 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 what was said, and um, the woman. Um, the man said, "The woman did, gave us to me to, to, to eat, and and I did." And and the Lord God said unto the woman, "What is this thou hast done?" And the woman said, "The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat." And the Lord said unto the serpent, "Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. And upon thy belly shalt thou go, and 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 the dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity." between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, people have had this idea that what happened was there, there was a snake. And this say, snake, or serpent, which, which actually was a Gihon, one of the Gihon people, uh, that the, that the snake uh, did did this sin of trying to talk Eve into eating that apple, and then because the the serpent did that, uh, it lost its wings, it lost its legs, uh, it lost whatever kind of a creature it was before, and it had to go uh, skimming around on its belly like you see snake, uh, snakes go. And they think that that all makes sense, and that's the way it really was. But in fact, indeed, that is not the way it was at all. And and that is really not what the Bible says. And, uh, and if you think about it, what you basically have there is a human, an intelligent human, that's in a very high order of civilization and spirituality, conversing with a reptile. And the reptile being every bit as intelligent and smart as the woman. And someone said, well, yeah, but you don't understand that reptile was, was actually Satan. No, you don't know that. You don't know that at all. You're just talking from what you hear other people having said. And, and um, uh, do we doubt that there was an influence uh, of, of Satanicness here? No, we don't doubt that. But that snake was not was not you know, uh, in the sense, as people are trying to say it, uh, Satan appearing as a serpent. Uh, 
<clears throat> and so we have to remember that even with the dragons, there's there's the female dragons in the sea, and there's the male dragons, the land dragons. Well, would I surprise you if I told you that this serpent was not a male serpent? It was a female serpent. Or a female gaihan, which is one of the four rivers coming out of the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> And according to the 17th chapter and 15th verse of Revelations, the Bible says that the river, the waters, represent people, tongues, kindred. It's a people thing. It's a people thing. So now, when the Bible says, and thou shalt go upon thy belly, well, what does that mean? People say, well, the belly means belly. And it means, uh, you know, you'll just have to, to labor to, for your food. Well, please do remember, there are 30, 60, 100 fold in the Bible and in the Revelations. But if you take this up a notch beyond the 30 fold of a literal belly, you can find all kinds of places in the Bible, and you can even find this uh, verified in Bible dictionaries and all kinds of places, that many times the, the Bible might mention a stomach, but it's really referring to the womb. W-O-M-B, the womb. And so I would like to show that what this is really talking about here and what it's really saying, you know, cursed... You know, um, uh, upon thee, uh, you know, shall be be thy seed, and 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 uh, and you're you're going to be you are go you are going to be stuck with that that cursed seed that comes from your womb, and this this belly can also mean womb, and it's talking about the seed. And someone says, well. I, how can that possibly be? Well, how can it possibly be? Is because if you look right at chapter 3, of verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. So this thing is about seed. It's about seed. And, it's the, and so it's about the seed of, of, of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Now, we're making these, if we, the way, if we were not careful how this is interpreted, you're making this almost sound like this serpent, this physical snake, is equal to a human being. And their seed is just about on the same level. But that is really not what the Bible is talking about at all. The Bible is talking about that of ancient times, of very old and ancient times, there has been the wicked seed which you can find this all through the Bible, and the wicked ancient, and there are the holy seed and the holy ancient. So you've got the wicked seed and the holy seed. And the woman is the, is the most perfect example of being the mother of either the wicked seed or the holy seed. Now, 
let's take a look at a few scriptures. If you go to the book of Isaiah, it's um, very, very interesting. Let's say, go to uh, Isaiah 14. And let's look at um, Isaiah 14, verse 29. Isaiah 14, verse 29, says this. Rejoice not, thou whole Palestina, because the rod, and we're going to do a lot of talking about the rod, the rod of him that smote thee is broken. For out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice, and his fruit shall be a fiery flying serp serpent. And, and we understand a lot of revelation on this that we have, have ministered to you. Uh, but we begin to see that there is something 30, 60, 100 fold here in the explanation of this scripture. And there is more to it when we start getting into the root uh, because the cockatrice is, 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 is a, a kind of snake itself. So uh, if, if, um, if, if the fruit of the, of the explanation uh, already being a serpent uh, brings forth something that is a different kind of serpent, then there is a message there that people aren't quite getting. Now, now the one of the words for serpent or snake in the Bible is Nahash. And that was even the name of, uh, like, of kings. And, and, and people used that name, Nahash. And Jesus, in fact, called people serpents. You know, you serpents and vipers. And so we've got to get the message straight. We've got to get this message straight. If you don't, we don't get it straight, then it's just going to be nothing but confusion. Turn with me now to the book of Revelations, chapter 17. And let's look at this because it is so very interesting. Verse 1, And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come up hither, I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now this many waters, once again, is described in verse 15 of this same chapter. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Now back over to verse uh, 2 of, of chapter 17. He setteth many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made, been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman set upon a scarlet colored beast full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple scarlet color, decked with gold, precious stones, pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Upon her forehead a name was written, Mystery. Means that there are things that people have not understood about this woman. And that was the first name put up there, Mystery. 
I wonder what else there is that's not known about the, about the Babylonian queen. Well, one of the things is this thing, Revelation, in the chapter 3 of Genesis, about the serpent, about the female serpent. Mystery, Babylon, the great. Now, Babylon, remember, is a, a repetitious energy, a repetitious thing that's going on and on and on. And, and uh, that, that repetitious uh, revelation that's going on and on and on is, is uh, easily seen in the Bible because it seems to say that, you know, there's, there's Babel that was started by Nimrod, which was another name for Babylon. And then later there was the Babylon and what's called the, the nation of Iraq. And um, then there's going to be another Babylon that is described in the end times of the book of Revelation. So this thing that Babylon stands for, which is Babel, which, which is a, a confusion and a dissemination of, of the spiritual language of God, is something that goes way, way back before there was ever a physical Babylon in Iraq or any, any place else in the world. And we have to understand how ancient that some of those names are and how mysterious they, they are involved and, and how that they collectively even involve some of these ancient people as described in the book of Jude that are of old ordained for these, these missions to go out and to defeat the word of God. And so we have here then, you know, uh, this mystery Babylon, the great. She, she, there are other mysteries uh, that need to be understood. There are other Babylons that need to be understood because if you got a Babylon the great, then that shows a distinction of Babylons. You know, you've got <coughs> different Alexanders. You've got different Peters. But but there is, out of the different ba Alexanders and the different Peters, you've got a, an, an Alexander the Great and a Peter the Great. And they are specifically distinct and different persons from some of the other, uh, you know, Alexanders and some of the other uh, Peters that may live and die. And, and so this particular uh, revelation here is about uh, a, a woman who was... Babylon the Great. She had a distinction above all of these other uh, Babylons that are so named and so called. And then to make it more than that, she was the mother of the harlots and the abominations of the earth. There's no one else that has the title of being the original mother. She is the original mother. She started it all. And, and interestingly, uh, you know, uh, those are those are sometimes some of these um, revelations that we find uh, represent uh, cities and tribes, and and uh, so <clears throat> she there's Babylon the Great and she, that's a city, and then there's uh, there's uh, Jerusalem you know uh, the mother of us all the Great and and that's a city, uh, but they also represent. Uh, you know, uh, a, a queenship. 
They represent a queenship, as we can see the queenship uh, represented of, of, of her, uh, of her uh, offspring that, that fell to earth in the 12th chapter, the first uh, verses of the 12th chapter of Revelations, of this, this glorious queen mother uh, that is dis- depicted there in the 12th chapter, uh, you know, uh, with, with, with uh, standing on the moon and clothed with the glory of the sun. So this particular woman, though, she is the mother. She is the mother. She goes back all the way to when this whole thing physically started of coming against Jesus Christ. And if you read the genealogy of, of, of Adam, and it goes, who was the son of this, who was the son of that, and Adam, who was the son of God. You see that in the Bible, the first and second Adam uh, are, are connected. And you see, you see that there is 30, 60, 100-fold revelation regarding that connectedness. And so this mother, the Babylon, has been involved. Now, picture Eve, this beautiful, innocent creature, wife of Adam coming down to the, the setting, the tree of life and the good and evil, tree of knowledge and good and evil. If a man had been there of some strange-looking uh, uh, alienness, if it had a long snake-like body with legs and wings <coughs> with this male um, appendage hanging out. I don't think that would be a very enticing figure to have drawn Eve to want to talk with that with that person called the serpent. I think she would have turned, ran, and screamed, running all the way screaming for Adam. But I think that this creature that was there was a beautiful guy Han lady. Absolutely gorgeous because she was the mother. She was the mother queen. And she was involved as one of those appointees to destroy the plan of the seed of Adam, which was for the reclamation and the redemption of the fallen Ophanim angels. Her plan was to destroy all of the things that would have to do with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But when she came on with her looks and with her beauty and her feminine voice and her knowledge, it was very curious to Eve. And she and she saw this beautiful woman. And like all women, she might have wondered, oh, I didn't know there was another beautiful 
female around. And she could be thinking of Adam. She no, no, she I trust him. I know I do. But I didn't know there was someone like this and she'd be talking to him. How how are you why are you so beautiful? So gorgeous, honey. It's simple. I eat of the fruit of the tree of of good and evil knowledge. I eat of that, and that's what's given me my beauty. But it's been said that if we eat of the tree of good and evil knowledge that, that we'll die. Well, sweetheart, I eat of it. Do I look dead? Absolutely not. That's just a misunderstanding of what it really means. In fact, the headship that put out those words very well knows that if you eat of this fruit, you will get beautiful. You'll probably get more beautiful than I am. And you'll be able to just live and live and live. You will become as a god to know both good and evil. Yes, you'll be like a goddess, a beautiful goddess. Oh, my, that sounds wonderful. Of course it does, darling. Now, come here. Let me pick a really ripe and beautiful product of beauty for you to have. And here, just feel it. Doesn't that feel nice? Do you feel the energy in it? Well, you know the story from there. Yes. And what is the war about? The war about is about two different seeds. Chapter 3, verse 15. The seed of the woman, wife of Adam, and the seed of the woman, the mother of, of all evil. Now, what was, what was this woman, wife of Adam, called? She was called the mother of all living. That's what the very name Eve means, mother of all living. And so that title of mother is a creative, back all of the way to the ancients of time, title. You have the mother of all living, meaning soul people, and the mother of these Gaihan and other types of pre-Adamic race people meeting there in the Garden of Eden between the Garden East and the Garden West on that line of demarcation where the tree of life and the tree of good and evil grew out of the ground. And this whole war is a war about the seed. The seed of the mother of the nations, of all harlots, of, of all abominations, of all that is wickedness. 
the seed of that. And between the woman depicted in chapter 12 standing on the moon clothed with the sun with a a crown of 12 stars on her head the mother of all living Eve. Who later was to become regenerated as Mary, the mother of Jesus. And a simple little word like belly meaning womb tells a story. Someone says, "Why well, I just didn't see that in there. Well, do some research and you'll find it. Because that's all part of the invisible body. The invisible Bible, pardon me. It's there, but you just can't see it, but it's there. And if you look hard enough and long enough, you'll find it. So we've, we've got these revelations about the Leviathan and about Rahab, which are sea serpents of Satan's fold. And guess what? In Psalms 74.15 and Psalms 89.10, I repeat, Psalms 74.15 and Psalms 89.10 of the Old Testament that tells about these serpents, dragons, they are said by a collective of scholars to be the oldest passages, scriptural passages in the Bible. You talk about ancient. <laughs> it's ancient. So, what are we dealing with? Turn with me to Revelations 12 and let me show you something. Revelations 12. And let's look at Verse 7, and there was war in heaven. Now this thing about war is a big, 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 the war between the principalities. And it's been going on since ancient times, and it's still going on. And Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, his angels being co-owned, Co'un cherubims. And the dragon didn't prevail. Neither was their place, him or his angels, found in a place in heaven anymore. And the great dragon, the great dragon, lots of dragons, but this is the great dragon, was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Now, you, you need to get a hold of this. You need to understand this. The old serpent, the ancient serpent, so important to understand, so important to know, is a very important revelation. Very important revelation. The old serpent or the sign of the serpent. 
because the sign of the serpent was a a, a materialization thing, a negative manifestation thing that was done. But it wasn't some new young exploitation. It was an ancient, very ancient. And that great dragon, the same as that old serpent, was called the devil and called Satan. There's a difference of being called something and being something. We make something. We create something. Let's say we create something and it rolls. And it's made out of rubber. And so someone says, well, let's call that a ball. And so that round lump of rubber that rolls is called a ball. But it's not that it was a ball from the beginning. It's called a ball <clears throat> because that was a descriptive title given to it. And so the descriptive titles of devil and Satan are just that. They are descriptive titles. And you'll see as I explain this that this thing of Satan is very important to understand that Satan just basically represents the spirit of adversary, adversary to God. And so when we say Satan, people say that's automatically he was Lucifer. No, Lucifer became, was called son of the morning, but he was an archangel. And then when he went into this rebellion, he was called adversary under the title of Satan. So sometimes when I am writing and I say the Satans, plural, <coughs> that is because Satans represent adversary to God. <coughs> and they go way back before this universe. There were adversaries to God, Gog and Magog. There were adversaries to God, to God in every universe of all the seven universes. And as an adversary, they're a Satan. Now, Satan of the adversary of Lucifer, yeah, that is a specific sort of like, sort of like Lucifer the Great representing himself as an adversary, becoming that particular kind of descriptive Satan, distinct Satan, like Peter the Great and Alexander the Great. But it doesn't mean there aren't other Satans. Way, way, way in the past. Because that's old. That's an old serpent. And he's been called the devil and been called Satan. Which deceiveth the whole world. And was cast out into earth and his angels were cast out with him. Wow. Okay. You begin to get this? The hitting under your thought patterns? I hope it is. Because the very seat of, of Satan, seat, S-E-A-T, of Satan, 
is a representation of the spirit of adversary. That is a seat. And so, as we, we begin to look at some of these things, let's get over into the book of Revelations. And let's just read some of these scriptures. Revelations 1.1. 1, 1. Okay. Now, this is about the revelations of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel un unto his servant John. Just so that we get, again, the story of the, of the balance of what's going on. And then, let's look at Revelations 13, verse 2. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard. His feet were as the feet of a bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat. So the dragon gave this particular beast that it's referring to. His capability to speak, his capability to have power, and his seat and great authority. This thing of the seat of Satan is not just used by one entity. It is a, a seat of authority of those ancient entities as described in Jude that are operating in the spirit of rebellion and adversary to the revelations of God. That is, that is their purpose. So look at Revelation 16.10. Revelation 16.10. And the fifth angel poured out his veil upon the seat of the beast. And his kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues for pain. This thing about the seat is not minor mode. And we're going to, Lord willing, if we have the time to, to get into this more as uh, we just move on with this into, you know, the various aspects of it. Now, let's uh, let's consider consider this, okay? Um, we're going to be coming into these sealings after a while, where the word of God is sealed. But in the before we get into that. Let's go back into time. Let's go back and let's see how this thing of Jude fits in to having ever happened before. Let's look at um, Second Chronicles. Back in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles. And let's look at um, uh, chapter 18 and verse 18. Chapter 18, verse 18. Let me read a little bit. And again he said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, 
and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, now let's, let's not, don't miss the setting. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, hear this word. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one spake, saying after this manner, and another saying after that manner. And there came out a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said, Wherewith? I will go out and be a lying, lying, L-O-Y-I-N-G, lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, Thou shalt entice him, and thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. Now, if anybody is wondering today how that the advent of this scripture I read to you in Jude about these ancient entities who were preordained back in ancient, ancient, ancient times to come against the word of God. And where are they going to find their seed at? Well, if you read here in the book of Revelations, some of these descriptions of the seat of Satan are found in some of the churches. And now we have this ancient spirit. And of course, to that spirit may no doubt belong a body. And a family of people or a tribe of people. But let's just leave it at, the, at, at, at this spirit came out. And the spirit said, to God, because God was saying, you know, these people have to make their own decision to go out there and and come against Israel. Who who's going to be able to go out and convince these people to do it? Because there's a war going on, and this is a war tactic. And so, if I can get some some war tactics going here. So that the wrong information is getting out. But these people are believing it because it's a lie, but they're believing it. Then he says, I'm going to be able to defeat them when they come into this valley. I'm going to have these armies of Israel pounce on them and destroy them. So I said, who could do this? And there was a couple of people who came forth with ideas, no doubt from this group of ancients, ancient persons described of in Jude. But this one came out in the mode of a spirit. The mode of a spirit because a spirit can be in many places at one time. And he says, I will do it. It wasn't, I think I, think I could do it. I, I have an idea. No, no. He says, I can do it. I will do it. He said, well, how will you do it? He says, I'll go out and instead of going to the king, and instead of going to any of the hierarchy, I will go into the religious world. I'll go to the prophets. 
I'll go to the priests. And I will make them think that they've got a revelation. That they've got a conspiracy. And I will get them to believe these lies. And they will religiously believe them. And then they will convince the heads of state to go out to this war. And the Lord said, yeah, you're right. That will work. Go for it. Now when we think today about the seed of Satan being in the churches, as it's described metaphorically being in them, in, in those churches of Asia, in the days of John the Revelator, then we can think about of truth. That there are people that are prophets. There are people that are teachers, pastors, evangelists. There are pe people that even call themselves seers. Priests. Who have been touched by these ancient spirits. And these prophets, because they're not stepping in tune with God, because they're not being obedient to all the word of God, have become deceived by the lie of those ancient spirits who have convinced them of this great revelation they have received into understanding the conspiracies of the world and so that they who are prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists have been taught by these lies to turn against the Holy Ghost people and the people who are receiving the real word. And that's what happened back in the times of Jeremiah and several of the other prophets. And Jeremiah said, look, Nebuchadnezzar is coming. He's, go he's going to destroy all the people that do not agree to become servant to, 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 to him. And my revelation that I've received from God as a seer is that you are to go out to meet him and tell him that, yes, you, you will become his servants. And if you do this, you will live and not die. Well, these religious people came out and said, my God, let's kill this man. This is not no prophet. We're the prophets. This is not no scribe. We're the scribe. This is not a priest. We're the priest. This is not a school of the prophets. We're the school of the prophets. Let's kill this man. We're the ones that's got the, the will of God and the revelation of God. We understand the conspiracies. This man is a traitor against Israel, a traitor against the church. We need to say blasphemous things against this person. And so they convinced the king. The king put, put him into a hole in the ground. But fortunately, there was a, some people of God that went to the king and said, this man's going to die. He's just an old man. You're putting him in this hole. nothing to eat. Let us pull him out and feed him and, and wait until... Something will be revealed. Now, earlier, before all of that exactly happened, 
they had also said, let us all flee to, to Egypt. Egypt is a powerful nation. King of Babylon would never, never dare to come into, into Egypt. Egypt is too powerful. And as far as, as Israel, our homeland, ah, they're just getting to be financially broke. They're, they're drunk on their own ideas. They used to be a great nation, but they're not anymore. They need to go back to the old Constitution. <clears throat> we don't need to have to listen to these other prophets and people. And so they all fled. They fled and went to, to, to Egypt. But before they fled, Jeremiah said to them, this really made these religious people and, and other people of the pol political people angry. If you go to Egypt, Nebuchadnezzar will come with his army and he will destroy the Egyptians and he will get you and he will imprison you and then he will have you all slaughtered. And oh, did they want that Jeremiah dead. They didn't want to hear the word of God. They didn't want to hear the real truth. That was treachery. That was blaspheming against their religious order. They believed they had the revelation. They believed they understood politics. They understood which nation could, could, could outperform other nations. Where they would be safe. But they didn't have the vision of God. They had a lie. They were told a lie and they believed a lie. And the Bible says that you can be deceived by a lie and become damned. This is a serious thing, ladies and gentlemen. It is a really, really serious thing. Now, let's look at, um, let's look at Luke 24. When Jesus arose, it wasn't an automatic that even his disciples believed that he arose, even though that's what Jesus told them. But the, the Romans and the, the Jewish priest said, look, this man hasn't fulfilled the scriptures. He can't possibly be the Messiah. And they start naming off their interpretation of the scriptures. And there's no way he's going to arise. And they begin to have such an effect on the temple people. It even affected the disciples for a period of time. In Revelations twenty four thirteen, some of the disciples were walking down a road. Verse thirteen, two of them went that same day to the village called Emmaus, 
which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together about all these things. It came to pass as they communed together and reasoned, still trying to figure it out. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Just like the invisible Bible, Jesus became an invisible, invisible entity. Well, what does that invisible entity mean? What does that invisible Bible mean? Does that mean there's just air there and you don't see anything? No. There was an actual man there. It was Jesus. But they could not recognize him because they could not really believe that he had raised from the dead. There's people that talk about the Holy Ghost, but they don't really believe that they can receive it. There's people that talk about revelation, but they believe all the revelation that's ever been that's ever that ever needs to have been given has already been given, and there doesn't need to be anything else. And these men could not see that it was Jesus. He was invisible to them as Jesus, but visible to him as a something else. They were seeing him in a different fold of character, because they were blinded, their eyes were withholden. Oh, there are people out there that say, oh, if Jesus came, oh, I would, I would die for him. I, I would follow him. Jesus doesn't need you to die for him. You're getting it all mixed up. He died for you. That's the only dying that needs to ever be done. He died for you. Anything else is just a specialized trajectory that may not have had to even happen. And they talked together, okay, and, and then Jesus joins them. But their eyes were beholden, verse 17 now. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that you have with one another as you walk in our sad? And one of them said, Oh, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Thou hast not known the things that have come to pass here in these days? I know some of you people that have been that have come into the manifest revelations and you've tried to share some of these things with other people and these people want to say to you oh are you totally ignorant of the great church and preacher that we have why you should come to the service tonight he's preaching about getting saved and getting baptized And you've already been what they call saved. You've been converted to Jesus Christ. You've already been baptized with water and the Holy Ghost. But they can't believe from the things that you are saying that you are in anything but darkness because they can't see the light of the glow that is shining from above. They can't see the revelation that you are speaking of. It's to them just darkened puzzles. And they think you are the one that is extreme and wrong because they are blinded to the truth. And here was Jesus Christ himself, Jesus Christ himself appearing. 
And what were they saying? Oh, you need help, mister. We, we, you need to come to our church and we'll, we'll teach you about getting saved. You need, you need to be told the truth. And we can bring you up to date on some politics. And there's some horrible things getting ready to happen. There's just some awful things. Just earthquakes and plagues and fire. You need to know about these things. You, you, we, we, we can see. We, we can discern. We're, 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 we're men of God. We can discern. You need help. <laughs> and Jesus himself was there, but they did not recognize him. Their eyes were holding. And it wasn't until further up in the scriptures here they, they stop. And in verse 30 and 31, And it came to pass as he set it meat with them, and he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. They begin to remember this thing of the communion, of this revelation. I am the bread of life. <laughs> he that eateth of me shall live and never die. And when he began to say those words, the Bible says their eyes were open because they were not able to see the invisible Jesus until their eyes became opened by the word. I hope you're listening to this, folks. The Bible talks in Galatians 3.1. Paul said, who, Galatians, he says, who has bewitched you? He recognized that these, this thing like of, the, of Jude, these ancient spirits, they're out there teaching people lies. And those people are prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, evangelists. We're not saying all of them, no. But we're saying there's a bunch of them. And they've gotten into politics. And they've gotten into entertaining Do we love those people? Of course we do. Do we pray for those people? Of course we do. But don't you be discouraged when these people who cannot see Christ, who cannot see the Word of God, because it's invisible to them. It's a little book. It's invisible to them. And all they can see is the outside and the back. They can't get through the seven seals. Don't you get caught up with that. That's Galatians 3.1, by the way. Well, what are God's people to do? Turn with me to Psalms 110. Psalms 110. All right. Let's look at uh, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. And the Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Someone says, What am I to do? 
What am I to do? You're to do what this scripture just said. You people that get all worked up, almost foaming at the, at the brain, because you think that you're supposed to go out there with an axe and chop down the cherry tree to prove a point to somebody. Here's what the advice of the Lord is. Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies, till I make these people that are mixed up, till I make these people that are blind and cannot see, that are deaf and cannot hear the word. You sit, you sit here and you just take it calm, cool and collective. And let me take care of moving by the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit does something, the Holy Spirit is the promise that's given in the book of the Gospel of John that says when people come into that Holy Spirit, which is the comforter, it will comfort you. Are you discouraged because you can't seem to break through with some of these people? You need the comforter then. You must not have been using it. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Ghost will get the job done. Turn with me to Philippians. I want, you to, I want you to get over here to Philippians. There's a couple really interesting points to be made here from Philippians. <clears throat> Philippians comes right after Ephesians. Let us look at chapter 115. Philippians 1.15. Here's what it says. Some indeed preach the Christ even of envy and strife some also of, of goodwill. Now, don't think that the Bible is stupid. Don't think that this Bible is blind. But I'm sure that there's people reading this and they can't even read what it says, can't even see it. But there are ministries out there that are preaching a Christ of envy. There are people that envy individuals that get elected that they didn't vote for him because they did not want them to get elected, and they envy that. They're not about to sit, as the Lord said, sit, sit here by my throne and let me take care of this problem. Because maybe it's not even a problem, except the problem that's in you. Indeed, they preach the Christ of envy and strife. There's strife out there being preached. You go into a church and they have to put on all these funny shows now and jokes and entertainment stuff because there's so much strife that is being preached that people are getting tension when they go instead of relief. So they have to have something to cause people to laugh so they don't end up getting nervous breakdowns by going to church. Are you knocking the churches? No, I'm not. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Shall we tear this out of the Bible? You don't want it there? You have a problem with it? it is, does it offend you because I'm opening it up and you're beginning to see something? 
You hadn't seen that before and you'd rather it be like the way it was before when you didn't see it? Being blind and deaf to the truth? Come on. The one preached Christ of contention. There's, there's a Christ of contention and strife and envy that is being preached. Preached. P-R-E-A-C-H-E-D. Preached. That's ministry. That's church. Not so sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. These people... It's not that they're bad people. They're not really supposing to hurt anybody with these, this style of preaching. They think they've got the truth because the ancient spirits have been turned loose and they've gotten hold of these prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And he said, how are we going to defeat, how are we going to defeat this? He says, well, I'm, I'm going to enter them. I'm going to have them be begin to believe a lie. And they start believing these lies. Now let me read on here just a little more. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the, for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. Oh, that's so beautiful. Even if these people are pretending to be more spiritual than they are. It says, nevertheless, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, and will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Supply of the Spirit. One more verse I want to read real quick. Chapter, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputing. Is that what the Bible is saying? Yes, it is. Is that the teaching for home life, church life? Yes, it is. I'm absolutely astounded that I haven't even scratched the surface, the surface of the message that I had to bring to you today, which was full of one revelation after another. But, I have run out of time. What God can do What He's done for others He'll do for you With arms wide open Ah, yes For it is no secret what God can do. Our Father in heaven, just reach right out right now, God, and touch those people that are sick. Touch those people that are fighting diseases. Touch those people that are depressed. Heal them, Lord. Heal them. Love them. Caress them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, May God be with you, dear people. There's some new things on. Blogs. You want to get onto that homepage. On Star Rise, a new blog. A lot on some of the Twitter and, and others.
like home, like Facebook and so forth. God bless you. We love you. Amen.